Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel, and I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. And with us today is a fellow by the name of Michael Ballard. Michael coaches people to learn how to become more balanced, focused, and effective through his programs on resilience. Before becoming a consultant, he was a high-performance sales and marketing professional, moving up five positions in his first seven years. He has been featured on CTV, CBC, CITY TV, and over 120 interviews across North America. His clients have included Bell, Saskatoon Life Underwriters, Ontario Hydro, Certified Accountants, State Farm, Crane Canada, Money, Con- Money Concepts, and Halifax Life Underwriters. People who share time with Michael and hear him speak find they go away with actionable and useful information. So, Michael, it's good to have you with us today. Yeah, it is great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so when we were talking, uh, I mean, you've got all this wonderful background, but you've also been through some tremendously difficult challenges. And when did that begin? Well, my first big challenge was at six years old where I uh, ended up with a concussion. And so through no fault of my own, somebody uh, got in my way as I rode my bike. They ran across in front of me without looking, and uh, I was quick enough not to hit them, but not quite good enough to not go over the handlebars when I hit the ditch. So I, it really changed my life because in the hospital, the young man that came in a few hours after me also had a concussion. So I now know as an adult that his behavior and mine were both very normal. I got quiet because I had a world-class headache, and a sore neck, and I wanted the lights out, no noise, and I wanted an aspirin. The first time in my life I ever asked for an aspirin, the nurse was like, how would you know what those are? You're only a child. Well, I've heard my uncle ask my mom for them when he has a headache. Oh, well, no, not with a concussion, no aspirins till for this time. Well, the young man that came in a few hours later, instead of getting quiet, he got angry and anxious and rattled his, they ended up putting him in what looked like a giant cage for kids, and he rattled it and he shouted nonstop for several hours because he was agitated. And as I healed over the weeks after that, I kept thinking, two people with close to identical issues having completely polar opposite reactions. And that put me probably 10 years ahead of my friends in that I realized that a reaction was often a choice. And so that was my big aha adult moment, even though I was only six. And uh, it was a big, 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 big dividends. And uh, from there, I ended up with a chronic illness diagnosis at 17. I failed the year of school because I was rather blown away to have this illness. And I learned the power of language because the doctor told me there was nothing you can do about it, young man. This is incurable. And so. Oh, joy. <laughs> How many times have we heard this, Hamish? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know. He was a good plumber, because when you talk like that, you're only a plumber. You're not a, not a surgeon. And uh, I eventually got off my rear end and got to the local university library and looked some things up and discovered, oh, there's no cures, but there's some, 
some mind-body skills you can practice that can reduce your issues up to one-fifth and on average, pardon me, and who wants to be average? You want to be exceptional. Maybe you can get it up to 21%. <laughs> and uh, reduce your cost of taking care of your chronic illness by 30% plus. So if it's from Harvard, and it's more than, by then it was a nine-year body of research, uh, i got to try this out. And, of course, it aligned with faith. It aligned with my Shaolin Kung Fu, which I wasn't very good at, but I practiced anyways because it was good for my head and my heart, mentally and physically and spiritually. So I gave it a try, and, geez, after a couple of years of nastiness with this chronic illness, it was a bowel disease. Uh, it went away for three years and mystified all the experts, but I knew that by practicing these skills, it had given me some some things to help, I won't say bulletproof me, but toughen me up mentally so that stress didn't get to me in the same ways. So that was my second... What was the illness? Uh, what was uh, the illness, though? Oh, colitis. Yeah, colitis. Okay. Yeah, yes. I was the first one in the family to ever have it. So they're trying to figure that one out, but uh, probably has something to do with the stress of my learning disability. And uh, it took me seven years to get through four years of high school. Being of a certain vintage, if you didn't spell and have good grammar, you didn't pass school. Yes. So ask me to spell endoplasmic reticulum and offer me 100000 in two minutes to study, I'll say, keep your money. <laughs> In the day when I studied, I knew what it was. I could describe it in detail, but I couldn't spell it. So, such is life. And so, uh, onwards and upwards. But what this all was, really, was preparation. Because at 27, I got terrible news that I had uh, cancer. And uh, the worst news was that it had spread to several locations. So, that really, really knocked me off my pegs. For a couple of days and then I realized I had to rally because you're going to fight for your life you have to decide what's the quality of the journey I wish to have mm. what's the outcome I wish to have even if I don't get the best outcome or any outcome except death what quality of experience am I going to have for me for those that I love for my friends and the caregivers because who's in control of this I might not live but I'm going to be damn well sure I'm not going to go out with a whimper so uh I started putting together a list. I put together a team, and that's where I really got interested in resiliency. I didn't call it resiliency back then. It was just that I was going to bounce back to the best of my abilities. Yeah, that's so. interesting. So yeah. now, from what I recall from speaking with you briefly before our time here, did you say that you had cancer like five times or something like that? I've had to, I had uh, it's come back. I've had. Uh, five major surgeries and I've had two episodes but I also had a uh, <laughs> my third medical treatment was to finish off my surgical treatments for cancer and put me all back together again if you see me in a bathing suit it looks like I had a fight with Zorro and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I used to tease the little kids at the oh, okay it, it, you certainly use very descriptive yeah. Uh, yeah, well, describe you know, what things. can I yeah. tell you yeah. I, I used to be at the beach and my friends would come along and the little kids would Mr. Michael, what happened to you? I said, I had a fight with Zorro. He almost won, and then a big wink, and then they laugh. <laughs> Either that or it was a garden fork incident, but that's another story. So, yeah. so what that taught me was that I had choices to make in the instant. Not to deny what I was going through. I was really ill. But uh, the day I got my diagnosis, I didn't go home. I went to my lawyer's office and said, I need a new will that's up to date. 
that's registered in this province because should I die in this six months or a year ahead, my wife doesn't need to have to go probate a will in another province and all that back and forth, baffle gab baloney. It's important legally, I get it, but so got a new will made within three hours of the diagnosis. I then went to the real estate agent. We bought the house through. I went to the moving company. We'd moved through and said, here's my father-in-law's phone numbers, my mother-in-law's, my father's, my mother's. Should something happen to me, here's my spouse's work number and you've got my home number. She's going to probably stay for six months to a year, but then go back to her parents or my parents, but she's not going to be staying here because we're in this East Coast place because I'm on a tour of duty for work. So I realized that I could do these things. I could tough it through and do the right things, not the easy things. So, uh, yeah, it was a seven-year journey, five major operations. And then the number three that was to put me back together again and finish everything off didn't stick. So two weeks later, I was rushed into a merge, and they kept saying, oh, it'll go away, it'll go away. But uh, within a few hours, I was having an emergency surgery at midnight. And again, the power of being in the moment from Shaolin Kung Fu, the power of mindfulness, the power of self-discipline, despite the block-twisted bowel and all the pain that went with it, I was able to say to the medical team, it's 23 minutes to 12, it's my birthday, I don't want to count down from 99 to 96 or 91 while I inhale to go under for this surgery. I know time's the essence, but I want to do something to make this memorable. Two things. No baloney and baffle gab and negative talk while I'm under the knife. Because if I die, I'll come back and haunt you, and you'll all have a flat tire on the passenger driver's side in the rainy days when you're on the highway. <laughs> Second, you're going to sing me happy birthday. Ready? On one, on two, go. They started singing happy birthday as I had laid my head down. I heard one happy birthday. I drew in a big breath right down to my toes. Two happy birthdays, a big breath, and I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most amazing story I've ever heard, Michael. I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes. I, yours, you're, I'm just so amazed by the kind of stuff that you're sharing with us and really grateful for it. Well, it, it's okay to be overwhelmed. It's not a character flaw. Yeah. But the concussion showed me about choices. The chronic illness ramped it up. And I had bouts of pain that were, well, I failed a year of school. That and the learning issue was not a lot of fun. But then I was like, hmm, I have moments in here where I'm feeling really good. And fast forward, when I was getting treated for my bowel disease, I got a call from the clinic one day saying, uh, Mr. Ballard, um, this is Rita, the, the, the clinic manager, and I was asked to phone you and six others. We have approximately 2,800 people come to this clinic and we've only identified seven or eight of you that we would say are happy, as in we would like to have you as a neighbor or a relative or as a friend. I said, really? So we just have five questions because we're, we're looking for a grant to get a psychologist in to study this happiness because these people's quality of life are pretty awful. And so why are you happy? I said, well, it's a choice. Does the illness own me or do I own the illness? And I go back to the young man who was my roommate with the concussion. I would boldly suggest that the, concuss the concussion owned him. Now, it could have been exactly the way he hit his head that agitated him. Fair enough. But I was raised by parents who kept saying, you have a choice. It's okay to be wherever you are. But after a little while, reflect, gather yourself. What do you want to be? 
How do you want to experience this? So it was really amazing to have this clinic call me and say, out of 25, 2,800 patients, you're one of seven or eight that are happy. I said, well, it, it, it's a choice. The pain is unbelievable. Uh, one of my high school friends, who was a girl as opposed to a girlfriend, said to me that, uh, okay, listeners, this is the PG-13 part or more. I might be the only man that understood, understood bloating and bleeding. During the PMS, up, right? Yeah. When my bowel acted up and was bleeding, my pant size was two to four inches bigger. My guts were all swollen up. So wow. it was all about choices and the experience. Yeah. And so I, I say to the, the listeners that it's amazing when we make the choices. Mm. It's not always easy. And to quote an old song, it's not often kind, but you have to make up your mind. <clears throat> yep. And the, the skill, one of the key skills I didn't know I was using, I knew I was doing something, it's called disidentification. So I am not my illness, and my illness is not me. It's a piece of me. It's not all of me. So disidentification is one of the most powerful skills I've ever practiced. And so when I... I mean, it's... it's, it's very, go ahead. It's, it's, it's easy to talk about. It's not always easy to do. None of us remember to do it in every situation. But it's can you collect your thoughts quickly enough, soon enough, to pull out of the dive of thoughts and despair that some situations give us so we can give our head a shake and get back on and move forward. And that's key. Mm. Yes. Nathan, one, one thing that is really coming up with you know, all the people we're talking to is this word choices. It's, um, yep. It is. And we've been, we've been hearing it in so many interviews now. There are, there are two questions that I've, I've got for you sure. that, that keep coming up. Because you've been through so many things, and there there are two things. It's like, was there a worst moment that you hit, and then also the aha that happened after it? Because it seems to me, based on what you said, the two of them kind of went together. And if, and unless I'm sorely mistaken, they happened relatively quickly for you. Okay, the biggest aha moment as a child was one I had the concussion and I saw my roommate reacting 180 degrees polar opposite to me. And the biggest aha moment for me was when my gastroenterologist said, Michael, I have news. Yes, you have the flu, but the reason you're not recovering and you're sleeping more than 18 hours every day for the last week is it appears you have cancer. And of course, that was like a lightning bolt in the back of the head, shaking me to the core. I remember my eyes hurt the shock was so severe right down to my toes and i decided right then and there that i was going to fight i was going to give it all i got like nothing i'd ever done before so i did the lawyer's thing did the moving thing the real estate thing that took care of the, the big stuff issues for my then spouse and then it was like okay what do you need you need to nurture yourself rationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. So I got theme music, and I decided on several theme musics. And this is a really emotional topic for me because people tell me it's too much work, and I said, no, 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 this is what nurtured my spirit. When I was only on saline solution, I went down to 137 pounds 
the fat on the sides of my temples disappeared. I started to look like nowadays we'd say I look like an AIDS patient. And I got my blood transfusions, and that's another story. And I had seen it to help me cry because I was so locked into the fight that I realized if I didn't let it out sometimes, I might blow up. So at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'd go to the nursing station and say, I'm going in the men's shower. Not to take a shower because I know I'm not supposed to. Too much surgery, too many stitches. But I'm going in there to have a good cry and a wail. I'm fine. I just got to let it out. And they go, oh, yeah, sure. At first, they thought it was strange. I said, I have to control my crying because weeping 724 is going to do me in. So I would go and have a good cry. Then I would go back and wasn't allowed to eat anything. So the saline solution was drip, drip, drip. But I did a lot of meditative walking. And I used self-hypnosis to the theme music. So I had the Symphony in Fen Country, which is a Vaughn Williams suite. And it starts off in a minor key. And it just pulled me apart. And I got so emotional. And then it slowly turns into a major key. And it was so uplifting. It was just, oh my gosh. So that was the classical. Then I had corny that it is, but powerful. I had the theme from the first Rocky movie, and I used the power of the visualization of the movie. Now, I got a 14-inch incision up the middle of my belly and sit up so the farthest thing from my mind in the real world. But in my imagination, I ran up those stairs in Philadelphia and back down a couple of dozen times. I sat on the edge of the boxing ring. I did those extended sit-ups hundreds of times a day, and I used the closed loop. My heart rate went up. My blood pressure went up. And I felt like a million bucks despite having these huge incision and drainage tubes and, <laughs> and the worst case of bad wow. I've ever had. Yeah. So, Visualization yeah. is hugely powerful. Oh, very powerful. Mm. Very, very powerful. And I became one of the 1% that uh, made it because I was not supposed to make it six months to a year because I had cancer in four spots. It moved from the large intestinal tract. I had an apple core structure and hepatic flexure on the inside, and it broke through the lining walls, and I had three local nodes that uh, had some had small stage 3 masses and a couple of, state, couple of stage 2 masses, so four serious locations and some minor ones. And... Uh, it was quite a time. And then one of the gifts, one of the things that I learned from my parents which, and my grandparents, which was really big, was sharing. So I wanted to play the piano. Silly thing to do, some would say, but it's a great outlet. And I'm not the best piano player in the, in the, in, in the day, but back in my 20s when I still played every day, I was adequate. I could entertain at a party for 20 or 30 minutes before people started throwing tomatoes. <laughs> and so... The only piano they had was in the psych ward. So I went to the psych ward. My spouse brought the piano music in because I read sheet music. And uh, I played 10 or 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Had a hell of a time. Oh, sorry. Had a heck of a time concentrating. I wonder why. But what was very interesting is that 10 to 20 of the patients would gather around and we'd sing a couple and then we'd chat. And I remember clear as a bell like yesterday, one of them said, you know, We've been talking about you. It's very inspirational. We all know that what we have is fleeting or in time manageable, even though it's very serious and scary. But we're not sure you're going home. I said, oh, I know I'm going home. 
I'm just not sure for how long. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So by sharing, we nurtured each other. Yep. And so it was uh, quite an exciting, that was quite exciting to do in the 20, 30 days I was in. I probably only went upstairs maybe 14 times, but it was very inspiring to be able to help them and nurture them at a time when, whew, boy, I was taking all the help I could get. Yep. I was just going to ask a quick question on um, with yeah you know, a lot of our a lot of our listeners who face a lot of challenges a lot of spiraling thinking which obviously you've hit those points before but you say you know to get yourself in the moment which we you know is very important to sort of get to that place so that's that thinking stops and what's your advice to listeners to you know, if you if you are facing something a huge challenge like being told you, you you've got cancer or something's happening or you know things are going on or they're just taking you further and further down and you're thinking, what's your advice to get into that moment that you can then move forwards to be resilient or whatever you need to be? Ah, excellent question. Uh, one of the things that this whole cancer issue brought me back to was I had a meeting with myself. I asked my executive level self of my highest function to please give this 100% and you need to fully sweep all the files for best answers. Yep. And that might sound corny and futuristic, but I sat down with pencil and paper and said, okay, I'm fighting for my life, rationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, because it's a, it's a united frontier. We can't just think I'm working on my physical. I got to work on everything. What are the best skills I can use. And of course, blessed with parents with faith. So that was help. I have prayer. I have family. I have friends. But I remember my phys ed teacher, Mr. Ed Sargentson, behind his back, we called him Fast Eddie. Because, you know, <laughs> when you're 14, somebody really old, like 30, can outrun the whole class. He was fast. I mean, you know, when you're 14, 30 is antique. Of course, now I'm past that, but that's another story. And so <laughs> yeah. Mr. Sargentson very clearly one day said to me, Michael, you're very athletic. You just don't know it. Michael, see things happening in your head and practice them. Again, visualization. Yep. See the ball. I, I was afraid to catch the football because when I, when I caught it, it hurt. I'm, I'm a sensitive kind of guy. <laughs> so he taught me that. And the next thing you know, I'm catching the flipping ball. Suddenly I could play softball better than I'd ever practiced in my whole life because I saw myself catching the ball as opposed to fumbling the ball. Yeah. So the identification yeah. we discussed earlier, the framing and reframing, the framing that, oh, I got cancer, oh, I'm really ill, reframing it. I'm going to fight for my life like nobody's ever done it before. So I had theme music to make me laugh, theme music to help me cry, theme music to hip help me with self-hypnosis, so I would walk. I probably walked two and three miles every day, slowly and firmly, interacting with other patients. I phoned 190 odd people the day of my diagnosis and said, "Hey, it's Ballard. Don't want money. I want thoughts, prayers, and love. And if you got time, send me a two-sentence note about something good in your life. Don't harp on what I'm going through. I already know it's tough, but send me something positive. Send me something that's real in your life." You know, your hangnails heal. I don't care how small or big it is. 
send me an anniversary picture of your parents or your spouse or the neighbor's new house sale or whatever. And so within a few weeks, I got 400 and some odd notes and letters and cards. It was unbelievable. Hospital staff were coming in, three or four of them, at, at more than once saying, come on, Michael, who are you really? Should we know you? Are you, are you hiding out? Are you from the States? Are you like a news guy? <laughs> are, are, are you a behind-the-scenes Hollywood kind of guy hiding out here? Because I actually was lucky, fortunate, blessed that my, my surgeon had come back from Europe two years previous and had the latest in surgical techniques for my type of health issue. Every other hospital in the city and across the bay, where, which was the closest to me, were doing 1950 surgical techniques. My guy in 1981 was doing 1979, 1980 surgical techniques. Cool. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't so, get better than you know, that. So now, you know, being through all these experiences on a daily basis, what's one personal habit that would contribute to your ongoing success? Uh, choosing to have quality experience. So, Can you really define that a bit? Deal with it now. So, for example, mm. I'm going to go to a meeting. What's the weather like? I think I'll put on my walking shoes, not my dress shoes, my walking shoes. I got a pair of uh, walking, walking runners. They're not really jogging shoes or running shoes or bike shoes. They're just high-class walking shoes. They're sporting. they got a mesh finished but the, the bottoms of them are incredible and i walk and there's less than one percent of the population can keep up i got 77 medical clips left in me so 50 50 meter sprints 100 meter sprints stairs two at a time five flights at a time the sense of motion two hands on the railing going up or down because i'm not breaking an ankle trying to stay fit or practice my balance thank you very much but it feels good I'm fully alive. I'm engaged with getting A to B. And then what are the goals of why I'm going to where I'm going? And mm. how will I feel as I go through this? And what choices will I make about dealing with those that are very happy, very sad, in pain, or overly exuberant, which I've been accused of being on occasion because you don't understand how harsh life is. And my response is, well, actually, I think I know more than most how harsh life is. Yeah, yeah. You definitely do, but I, I keep circling back to what you said. You said it several times, and it's so important for those who are listening. You made a choice, oh, and, okay. and that is so key, absolutely key. We, we've heard this a number of times now in, in different interviews, and and as far as I'm concerned, that's the big factor right there, the number one thing. You made a choice. That's the choice. I didn't need to buy these walking shoes. I had perfectly good business shoes, casual business shoes, uh, and, and, and boots and duck boots and all sorts of things. But these ones spoke to me that these, because I'm a lean, keen fitness machine. <laughs> so one of the things for your listeners is how are you allowing yourself to define yourself? Yeah. How's your family in the past, your medical team, your educational people, your friends, your boss, your manager, the last, the last boyfriend, girlfriend you ever had, your spouse, how are you allowing them to define you? Well, when it comes to my fitness, I play a game. We all have two ages. 
chronological date of birth, we're X plus. However, with some conditioning and an exercise, and I believe done with joy makes it easy, we can take years off of our body age. So my goal is to have 20 years off my body age. I've never achieved it, but I've got a whole lot of categories where I'm 12 to 18, 18 and a half years body age younger than my national average. Now, That's a funny a statement that you've made. Uh, uh, there's, uh, sorry, well, it's a funny statement that you made in a way because um, they're, they're only because of something that happened to me not that long ago. I, uh, I'm 58 now. I went in for what they call a PSA test for men, you yeah. know, the whole prostate thing. And I think it was 57 at the time that I went in for this test and got the results. I was in my doctor's office. He was telling me all sorts of stuff. And they said, um, how old are you? And I told him. And then he said to me, your PSA is two, which means it corresponds to the age of a, a man who's 40 years old. I just looked at him. It's like, you're kidding me, right? That's so, it, I mean, it ties in a little bit. What's that? That was declapping. Wow. <laughs> you on. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I couldn't it's figure out what that sound was. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly is. Well, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just really funny. There have been other things that have happened. And I mean, granted, this is mostly about you, but the the other the reason that this whole thing came into being, this podcast and everything else that Hamish and I have done, is because I went to Hamish for help to do with well, what I called the trauma of bullying, which we later kind of categorized it under under PTSD. And I, I thought I was going to die from this because, you know, that was yep. the way things had gone. And then one day it suddenly vanished. And when it vanished, a whole bunch of major health problems also vanished. I had an abscess tooth that had been driving me nuts for months. It suddenly healed. Mm -hmm. Didn't come back. A whole bunch of other things suddenly vanished. And so, and it, and it goes to what you're talking about, so... I really appreciate what you have to say about it. It's really important that we check ourselves. How are we allowing ourselves to be influenced and changing our self-definition? Hmm. So I would say to the listeners, if there was a picture of you in a dictionary that only you could see, it's the most private book in our lives. It's like a diary, if you will. What are the thoughts, the words, the pictures, the little videos, the little sound clips? feelings you attach to your picture of you at all ages. Some people are uplifting in our lives. My parents were wonderful. My Uncle Jim, as an uncle, took time to always connect with me and relate to me at, before I had words. I wanted to be like this entity that sat down, took his shoes off, and played with me, even though I couldn't talk yet. Most adults patted you on the head, gave you a burp, gave you a cookie, said hi, had a one-second chat, baby chat, but no, Uncle Jim connected. I counted. I mattered. It's to this day really moving. So we have people yes. with that in our lives, but then we also have the people with good intentions that'll tell you that your grin is crooked. You got a crooked tooth. I had a relative that was that, that, that had no good intentions. She was nasty. Your nose is big for your face. And so you get all this feedback in society. If you just drove the right car, think of how handsome you'd be. If you just had the right 
Cologne, the ladies would not be able to stop themselves from giving your number. Uh, baloney. Marketing, society, relatives, friends, teachers. Some of our friends are not really friends at all. Hmm. They're just somebody that wants to manipulate you because they'll feel better about themselves. Yep. So our self-definition this, this is, true. is one of the most important things we can work on every day. Not every moment. Heavens no. But a little reflection, t- reflection time in the morning about the day before or a reflection time before bedtime about the day past or the next day. And do a little homework. Do a little scrubbing. Bring out the broom and push it out the door and down the street and let the wind carry it off on the negatives. Because most yeah. of them are not even 10% as negative as some of the stuff we've been given. I remember somebody saying, wow, with all those scars, aren't you worried about dating? Uh, this was after my divorce. Nope, I'm going to mesmerize her with charm and respect. <laughs> <laughs> there is something else that comes to mind, which I'm going to keep my trap shut about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. One little thing yeah. you said before, it's, Michael, you, just with yeah. the, um, you know, when you put on your shoes to, to go for the, or whatever it is, and it's, you're saying to yourself, um, how will I feel? When yeah. I've you know taking these steps and wearing these shoes and being this person, you know some I, I know some people would probably they they won't know how they will feel because they might not have done it before. So one thing that sort of just I've been thinking about is another question you could ask yourself is how do I want to feel? Put yep. on those shoes and how do I want to feel? And yeah, well said. Yep. And creating that visualization of well with these on. Mm-hmm. I want to be this person, I want to feel this, I want this end result, and visualize it and then start stepping into it. Yes, absolutely stepping into it. So as much as some days I'm a little creaky and groany getting out of the bed because I'm yeah. over 60, it's <laughs> like, okay, loosen up, we can do this. You're not 21 anymore, but you're not 97. Yeah. And one of my mentors lived at 99, and at 97... He'd put most of us to shame because he used to walk five miles a day, six days a week. Yeah. Because, you know, you either use it or you lose it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something else for people to consider. What are the role models in different areas of your life? Mr. Burt has passed and died a long time ago before I was 21. So about 40 plus years ago. But he was a remarkable example on what conditioning does for you. And unless it was freezing rain or two feet of snow or lightning and thunder, he walked every morning, six days a week. Sunday was a day of rest. And, boy, at yeah. 97 from a distance, you would have thought maybe he was 57. And that's probably that's he how he saw himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. he was a lean, keen exercise yeah. machine. My words, not his. And he was invigorated. Yeah, this, this is such uh, a really incredible interview with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, you've shared so many incredible things that when people take the time to listen to this interview, I think they're, it's just going to blow their socks off. It's the kind of thing that really, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. It, Thank you. Well, uh, you know, that's another story, but we're, we're not in charge of their finances. But the, the, but the bottom line is what you've shared with us has been incredibly inspiring, really amazing, very helpful in so many ways. And I, it's, it's been really 
amazing in the very short time doing this show because every now and then, like someone like yourself, you'll, you'll tap into something that I've been thinking about for a while, but until I actually heard you say it, it's like, oh, I didn't realize what I was doing with that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm sure that for many people who will join us, they will probably have some of these aha moments too because you've done so much of this. I mean, it's like, wow. <laughs> it's so, just been really amazing. So, and, and clearly created strong habits around it too, that when you get to a oh, certain state absolutely. and something happens in your life, you know these habits just kick in now and that visualization, yeah. the meditation, whatever it is, you go straight into it and it's very powerful and works for you. So habits are very – to create these habits over the, uh, over the time is, uh, is very important. Yes, thank yeah. you. So, so, so for the people who have been listening in and when this podcast does go live – how do people get in touch with you? Oh, well, let's see. You could uh, you could uh, find me on Twitter at Resilient Michael, no L, one word. You could uh, find me on Facebook, Michael Ballard, pardon me. And I think you have the links to share, or you could find me on LinkedIn as M.H. Ballard. That's out of Toronto. There's several Michael Ballards, but I'm the one in Toronto, Ontario, and... Uh, or uh, resilientmichael at gmail.com. Yep. Perfect. Well, thank you. Perfect. Oh, it's, it's been a real pleasure listening to you. It's been very inspirational. And one of the other things that you've done a number of times, which I've really appreciated, is the injection of humor. I, I think it's really important. Now, I would say that for some people, it's not their style, so it's not a character flaw. But I have learned... But if I can laugh at what scares me, yep. it takes some of the power away or all of the power away. So, yes, I have to tell you, at 27, to get this big 15, 14, 15-inch 15 long scar and then four more of them side by side uh, on top of one another, not fun. So that's why I make the Zorro joke. I had a fight with Zorro. It's the first time he almost lost. <laughs> and, and And so... I remember one of my work buddies, we all ended up at the beach one day after a big event. And he said, why didn't they just put a zipper in? I said, I don't know. That's a good question. Where do I ask the doctor that? Because I think I should have a zipper. <laughs> and it's about making fun, right? And just that is so it. awesome. Well, it, 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 but you've got to be ready for it. And what's good for you might not be good for anybody else. Yep. So I have to admit that once in my life at least, I tried to use humor to help someone else, and he thought my humor for me was awesome. He wasn't ready. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to hurt his feelings, but I hurt his feelings. So one lesson I learned was my humor for me worked for me. It worked for many other people for me, but they have to be ready for their humor. Yeah. And and for people for people that choose to work with you, Michael, you you would then go through a journey of finding it out, finding out what it is for them. Yes, yes, exactly. And then you and then you could help them in the style that is best suited to them. Exactly. Yeah. And well, I mean, I also work at conferences and do workshops and boards of education. And right now I actually have a senior's home. We're working on resiliency for seniors that have the beginnings of dementia. Mm. So, you know, helping them discover joy and, and having a gratitude list is very powerful for them because 
as one woman said, I can tell you where I went to school. I could tell you my subjects from university, but I'm not too sure who I am or what I am for the last year and a half. So we don't want them becoming depressed. We're trying to help give them some skills to help them fight the good fight in a meaningful way. Yep. Anyway, yes. thank yeah. you very much for this opportunity. Oh, very thrilled to have you, Michael. Um, and I, I, I'm sure I speak for Hamish, too, yeah. that uh, we would love to have you back again to perhaps do a session with our listeners where you would guide them through some of the strategies that you use. Sure. I think that would be incredibly helpful. Okay, very good. So I really want to thank you for, for joining us, for taking the time to be with us today. Yep. And so for those of you so for those of you who've been listening to us, you're listening to myself. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia. With us today has been Michael Ballard, and we are the Thought Hackers. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.